This is The One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider and discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episodes so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. Hey everybody, welcome back to this week's episode. This is your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. I welcome in Dr. Chris Melitas with us this week. He was on previously to speak about mitochondrial health. I wanted to have him come back to speak about a topic that is emerging called NAD or nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. There are a lot of supplements and also lifestyle suggestions that are being touted to be precursors to NAD. This has become very important in the focus on slowing aging and slowing aging related diseases. NAD is a cofactor of sirtuin-1, which is a protein in humans that's encoded by the SIRT1 gene. And when this gene is not functioning properly, the aging process can be accelerated. When it is functioning properly and is well supported, it may be involved with slowing the process of aging. A lot of focus has become devoted to this pathway, especially the work of Dr. David Sinclair and a number of supplements have come out on the market, such as NAD precursors, such as nicotinamide riboside, NR, nicotinamide mononucleotide, which is known as NMN, and others that are working towards supporting this pathway to help conditions like chronic fatigue syndrome, cognitive impairment, such as dementia, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, even other mitochondrial diseases such as diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and just overall general well-being and feeling of energy and vitality as we get older. I have been slow to adopt these supplements just because there's been a lot of hype and marketing around them. And so I wanted to bring back a expert in the nutrition supplement space to help tease out what is the reality related to these supplements and maybe understand the mechanism a little bit further and see how we can incorporate uh, lifestyle and diet and supplements to help support this important pathway. And without further ado, I welcome you to the next episode of the One Thing Podcast. Dr. Melitis, welcome back to the One Thing Podcast. It was so great to speak with you previously, and I'm glad to have you back on today. It's an honor and privilege. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. So before we get into things, you know, I I know we're going to talk a little bit today about NAD, um, and I I have a question for you before we get started. You have such a great depth of knowledge and information in in our profession. It seems like when I do research for my own clinical questions, your name undoubtedly comes up in something that I'm reading. And I just was curious, who were your mentors? Like who, who were the people in the profession that really inspired you? Wow. Great question. Um, 
when I, so my life, as you might recall, but I'll share with the audience, I started for going to Reed College here in Portland, Oregon, which is a very diverse university where we didn't have a single fill in the box with the number two pencil the whole four years. Can you imagine a college experience with no Scantron um, sheets? Mm-hmm. And so we had to pontificate. We had to explain and justify our train of thought. So over that course of four years of working the mind in a unique way of you know discussion and critical thinking, then I went off to two years of conventional medical school. And, um, and so the allopathic MD school. And in that program, I had a one year um, that I had nutrition. And, and, and that's unusual because I was in between 88 and 90 in nutrition and conventional medical schools, still not really well um, you know, applied. And so I had it. So one of my professors was Dr. Debro, And Dr. Debro was a professor, an associate dean. And I said, well, could a person practice nutritional interventions to manipulate the biochemistry, the physiology, which is the function, and the pharmacology of the human body. Because I happened to be taking three classes in addition to nutrition and a couple others. But I had my nutrition class, I had my pharmacology class, I had my physiology and biochemistry class. So as we know, as naturopathic doctors, you go through that same training uh, of all those same basic science courses. And I, he says, yeah, if you want to lose your license... <laughs> <laughs> and that's if, if, if I was if I had stayed on the medical doctor side of things. So I would say that professor um, encouraged me to say what, and then I happened to come back to Oregon and ready to do my third and fourth year clinical rotations in the hospital. And then there was a gentleman in my sister's life that double dared me to check into naturopathic medicine. And Reed College is a very um, liberal arts school in Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon is where the oldest naturopathic university is now called the National University of Natural Medicine. Didn't know it exists. You would think if I had gone to Reed College, I would. So he was in my life. He will go unnamed. And then all of a sudden I'm saying, hmm, why write so much? And then Dr. Michael Murray from Bastyr University, he was writing all these phenomenal books, translating science into English for the consumers. He worked, well, of course, with Dr. Perzorno in writing a big um, vol- voluminous um, treatise on natural medicine. And I'm saying, I want to do that. And same doc, same professor in conventional medical school taught us something. And I think both you and I adhere to this. I know you do. And I tried to my best translating this complex concept, whatever it might be, into something that even a five-year-old or an eighth grader would understand. So he challenged us. And this was during clinical physical diagnosis. So you have a patient, you're poking and prodding on them, you're looking in the eyes, you find something, how do you explain it? So he gave an example to us. If you have a plumber or an electrician, and I was to bring them in, he asked us, you would probably figure out you could follow what an electrician or a plumber would say. You guys are smart after all. And he said, but if they use their jargon, you know, their, you know, trade um, words, you would have a modest clue what they're doing. But if they're good at what they do, you'll be able to wire a plumb a house by the time they're done educating you. He says, likewise, your patients, if you can convey a, a more complex concept, they'll totally get why they should be vested in the outcome and why you're doing something. And that between that, Dr. Michael Murray, and having read all his books and how beautifully he did, I says, Hey, a light bulb turned on. And there we go, Thomas Edison. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. Wow, that's a really great story. So you you left um, conventional medicine, you know, um, a conventional medicine path midway. Yeah. And, well, and, and to the chagrin of both my grandfather and my father, God bless both of them, as they're no longer with us on earth. And I'm there like, you're doing what? Because I was all of a sudden the official heretic. This is before what you and I do got all that scientific validation, all that research. Yeah. This is before Dr. Oz and Andrew Weil and Deepak Chopra and all you name the litany of people that are now it's very posh and popular. But, but we were just ahead of the curve, pioneers, and saying, yeah, I'm going to be an early adopter and adapter. And as a result, we've had more years of helping people, and we've, we're, we're blessed to do it. Yeah, yeah. Back in 1999, when I decided to go this path, I had a very similar response. I think we all had the we we all can recognize the look we get when we first hold someone. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's it never never will leave my mind. But um, it's it's really wonderful to see how far we're coming and how um, how the this next generation has benefited from pioneers like yourself. So. Um, well, I, I'd love to kind of set the stage for our discussion today. Um, can you, um, first of all, tell us your involvement with this topic, NAD and NADH, and the whole world of, of uh, looking at the mitochondrial inner workings? Well, certainly. Um, so as a point of disclaimer, I'm an educator for a company called True Niagen. Today, I'm going to be speaking as a clinician and that representing TrueNiagen will be just two docs talking about what do we do in our clinical practice. But my disclaimer is I'm an educator for TrueNiagen. And so that's what my disclaimer is. But ultimately, anybody that follows my writing, whether it be the endocannabinoid system, plasmalogen, which I know you did a phenomenal show with Dr. Dan Goodenow and on plasmalogen. And if the audience hasn't listened to that one, particular session, a must listen. And um, then we have NAD, anything the human body expends energy to make on a daily basis. And for millennia before you and I existed on this planet, our ancestors made, it's like, well, we probably want to support that pathway, whether it be going outside and getting vitamin D or today NAD or plasmalogen, or even the endocaminoid system, another conversation and topic of near passion. But anything mitochondrial related, it's got, it's got my eye quickly. So I was like, oh, mitochondria. That's a double A battery that keeps the energizer bunny, or in this case, our cells going. The trillions of cells in our body have to have that energy. And I think most of the audience, having followed you for so long, know that when we're about 30 years old, we make... It's about 65 kilograms of ATP per day. And for those that are metrically challenged, that's about 143 pounds per day. Yes, I said per day of ATP. And you're saying, thank goodness that weight doesn't hang around every day. And so, but now for every decade past 30, we actually make 10% less ATP, which is the energy unit, the currency that allows us, think of it as volts or electricity, that ATP allows our cells to work and allows us to manifest our genetic potential. And I give the example, and this ties into our NAD conversation today, is how good is our cell phone? It could be an Android, it could be an iPhone. All those wonderful apps we have on our phone are like software, and software is like DNA. And now if we have no battery charge on our cell phone, 
How good is all those fancy little apps that you we all depend upon? Likewise, our DNA, if we don't have the energy to allow them to manifest, I'm a heart cell. I have to have the energy to do what heart cells are told to do genetically or digestive tract or adrenal gland or thyroid. So you name the health condition and you tie it into the mitochondria, we give all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients for a thyroid, for the adrenal, maca, ashwagandha, rhodiola, ginseng, whatever it might be. But once again, those little adrenal glands have to have the energy. And so this is where mitochondria come into play, but this is where NAD enters the mitochondrial conversation because as I shared, we lose 10% of our ATP from the age of 30 onwards. So I'm 55. So theoretically, I'm 25% behind the curve energetically relative to my ATP. And then we make it worse as because as I get closer and closer to 60, well, between the ages of 40 to 60, upwards of 50%, so a full half of all our NAD in our body, which supports our mitochondria, diminishes. It goes away. And now, of course, we've talked about COVID and 2020 and all these things that we'll all know where, where we were on 9-11. We'll all know where we were on certain other events. And we'll now know way too much ingrained our 2020 um, saga. And What's interesting is the elderly and those with illnesses often are much more susceptible to, once again, you know, susceptibility to having low NAD. And so, like, for example, the lungs of an elderly person only has about 20 to 25 percent of the NAD that a youthful person has. And NAD in the mitochondria also helps fuel our immune system. So it's absolutely totally amazing. Yeah, it's you know, it's interesting because we could sort of silo off this conversation just to really um, drill down some of the key points. But like the, the topic of fatigue is is extremely complex. But, you know, so we're, we're talking about fatigue related to aging or inflammation aging or aging of organs. And this kind of thread of what happens is just as a kind of sequelae of living long enough on this planet. Um, is that fair to say that's kind of like a good direction for us to go down? Oh, I love that. Yeah, um, that in, inflammation aging. And the fact is, the more miles we have on our tires, the more threadbare our tires are, the more wear and tear we have on our engines, our transmissions. And so, yeah, that's a great way to have this conversation. So I love it. Yeah, so we've talked about um, some of these concepts already, but I'd like to just kind of go through and define a few things. So um, I think for people to follow what we're talking about that, so NAD is what, and what is NADH? I I think talking and comparing these two um, molecules is really important. Well, certainly. So NAD and NADH both naturally occur within the body. This is something our body allocates, um, uses as a resource, and without sufficient NAD, and as a result, the production of NADH, we wouldn't have the ability to talk, to think, to digest, to taste, to do anything. We wouldn't be non-existent. We'd be the unplugged telephone or the unplugged battery. Um, So the NAD molecules is very simply a molecule in our body. But beyond that, the NAD and NADH are things which are very hard to supplement. Rather, we have to support the innate ability to continue to 
build that NAD. And so what we want to do is we want to build that NAD with a capacity. And so that's really going to be the nature of our conversations. What can you or I or the listening audience do in terms of, you know, supporting that? Because it's going to diminish with time. That's invariable. Our mitochondria are going to diminish. But now how do we do that? So this is, you know, the concept like NAD to NADH ratio, right? So there's um, this concept that over time, this ratio is affected by aging. And this leads to aging related uh, is is one of the factors in aging age relating problems. Can you just speak briefly about like NAD, NADH ratio? Yeah. So, so the nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide or better, easier said, NAD. And we're looking at how much of that do we have opposed to how much of it has been utilized with the NADH. So we want, we need to have that precursor molecule ready for what's called oxidase and phosphorylation. Um, and it gets complex with the peroxisomes and the mitochondria, various parts of the body, which luckily we never have to think about because they're always working behind the scenes. But when we go through the reaction process, of oxygen in the mitochondria, then we start seeing the adding of that H group or so NAD to NADH. I want to support innate higher levels of NAD to as a reservoir, or as I like to say with my patients, squirreling away the nuts for winter. And just like when I talk to them about vitamin D levels, I want to know where people's vitamin D levels are late December or late September because that's the, how many nuts the squirrel has been able to squirrel away. Or in this case, this is our natural reserve of vitamin D before we enter the winter season. But in the case of NAD, it's not so seasonal. It's a year-round event. But if we get an infection in our body, our NAD levels start plummeting because our immune system starts utilizing them. So certain life events cause us to have that NAD, NADH ratio totally go wonky and leaves us wanting for why am I so tired or why didn't I bounce back? So some of us genetically have the ability to sustain healthier NAD levels, just like some of us have the ability to sustain healthier hormone levels, even as we age or adrenal function. And some of us are more susceptible because we're worn out, we're tired, we're overfed, undernourished, overworked. And our body in general is basically making it through the day and we're dog paddling. So supporting those levels are critical. And Right before we started, we started talking about a patient of yours that came in, which had um, chronic fatigue, and that's kind of how you really got into NAD. Maybe you want to share that story because it's really interesting that there are so many reasons why a person, myself, if I came to you, I have a list. I can say, Doc, and I'd be if I was in your neighborhood, I'd become your patient, to be honest with you, because I'm like, wow, this guy's smart, and I'm serious, but I'm like, okay, Chris you're a naturopathic doctor. Why do you have a, this list of symptoms? And why do you have this list of concerns? Because, well, I'm, I work 70 to 80 hours a week. Bad advice. Don't sleep as much as I should. Once again, do under, you know, do, do what I say, not what I do kind of approach. And it's like, wow. But, you know, so what, what gets me excited about NAD might be different than what gets somebody else excited. But you got exposed to NAD in your clinical practice. And of course, you knew about it because we all had the same coursework. But I think there are some remarkable cases where NAD is just absolutely like, wow, a life changer or it's part of an overall picture. Do you want to share that story? Yeah, I mean, I think that was my first introduction into um, precursors for this pathway, NAD, NADH pathway. Um, 
the you know the issue is that you know a patient with chronic fatigue really goes through a series of tests before they're given a chronic fatigue syndrome diagnosis. And even when they get that diagnosis, finally, when someone says, we don't really know why you're so tired and that you you actually are having this debilitating fatigue um, preventing you from working, preventing you from exercising. Well, I had a very knowledgeable patient who, you know, was, was extremely um, motivated and well-read and brought in a paper on um, using NED precursors in um, – chronic fatigue. Um, it was a paper out of University of Washington. And uh, the regimen and protocol we followed um, to, you know, kind of improve um, function to this day. And, you know, the thinking in this case was that um, what, what led to this problem was the demand that a chronic viral load had on um, his mitochondria um, you know, over, over a course of years. And that's kind of the working theory about how chronic fatigue developed in this particular case. Well, and what's, what's interesting about what you just described is that viral load, the research. And if any of your audience is really into the hardcore research, you can go to pubmed.gov and that's, it's, it's free to everybody. It's a, one of the government's free resources. It's basically an online, online library for medical research, and you type in NAD or nicotinamide riboside, or um, and that's the kind I personally use is a nicotinamide riboside, and it's also known as truniagen, and, and it's a precursor. But they actually type that in and type in virus, and you'll be amazed because once again, NAD levels deplete with a virus. So that patient, because once again, I love, and I know you do too, love those patients that are totally invested. They've done their research. They said, I bet this is something that's going on. How can you help me? And it's like, wow, you came to the same conclusion because smart patients are the best patients because they're motivated. They understand what the goal is and they already are convinced. Like, do you think this would be a good idea? Not only do I think it's a great idea, but I think you're onto something here because that person with all that viral burden and same thing with the herpes patients and the patients with Lyme disease and all these chronic immunological illnesses. Well, you need NAD in order to help with something called sirtuins and PARPs. These are other fancy things that occur within the body, which as they get worn down, we're more susceptible to disease. And so once again, if we fuel the body, good food, sleeping better, things which I need to help myself with, and then you supplement those pathways, then all of a sudden, the water level rises, and now there's a little bit more wiggle room for the body to have extra energy to try to right the ship, or what we call homeostasis. And homeostasis, as much of the audience knows, is that balance or healthiness that we have. And for those that have had science classes, even high school science, they also know the word entropy. Entropy is the tendency in physics for things to go towards chaos. So it takes energy for a plant to have to maintain its leaves. It takes energy for the you know environment to continue doing what it does. Otherwise, it goes, all goes a helter-skelter. And so once again, this is why the mitochondria is such an area of fascinating work. And NAD, if people are not doing NAD, they're missing the boat. So that patient of yours could have been on CoQ10. They could have been on carnitine. They could have been on PQQ, pyroquinolin quinone all of which which would have supported the mitochondria, but 
if they're missing that extra little spice, that little bit of in the recipe of success of the NAD, it's like, wow, I make really great cookies, but I'm short on chocolate chips. <laughs> and we all need more biochemical chocolate chips in our lives. Yeah, I mean, it. you know, the uh, the step in the mitochondria, I mean, without making this too technical, is it, is it serving just a more um, beneficial step than some of these other nutrients? Or it, it's, is that hard to say? Um, it's unique. I think all those nutrients are important. Each serve their unique function, much like flour and the sugar and the vanilla and a cookie recipe. You're, you'll, you'll miss all of them. Your palate will miss all of them. And likewise, in the case of NAD, it's necessary for so many enzyme pathways. It's necessary for our, the pathway, which you and I've discussed before, the citric acid pathway, also known as the Krebs cycle for us older um, educated folks. And so in order for the food and whether it be carbs, proteins, or fats to go down your energy pathway, and let's say carbs, in order for an enzyme called pyruvate dehydrogenase, which allows your carbs to go down to your energy pathway, citric acid pathway, you need NAD. If you don't have NAD, you cannot pass go or collect $200. That's a quote from Monopoly. And um, I don't want to trademark infringe or anything. <laughs> and, and then you go down from acetyl-CoA, which certain medications poison, which we'll go without saying. And it goes down through citrate, cisacidinate, isocitrate, alpha-ketoglutarate, around this little energy merry-go-round. And But you have at least three times in that energy pathway where if you don't have NAD, you also don't very efficiently go to the next pathway or next step of making energy and, and cranking through that continuous recreation of ATP. Once again, ATP is the energy currency of our cells. Remember, when we're 30, we make about 143 pounds of it. But at rest, at any given moment, as everybody's sitting here, we have about 8.8 .8 ounces of ATP. So only half a pound to our 140 pounds a day, give or take, depending on the person um, of ATP they're going to make. So it's a constant make, 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 make. It's like being on a little habit trail wheel. And But now if all of a sudden you misstep because you're low on something like NAD, you end up with a problem. Likewise, CoQ10 has a unique and different function within that energy pathway in terms of multiple steps of oxidation phosphorylation. But the bottom line is NAD levels drop as we get older, we can replenish their levels. And there's studies showing that a single dose or a dose over the course of time does start shifting the blood levels of NAD. And so like I earlier this year, I went in for surgery for bilateral hernia surgery because I figured, hey, well, I can lift it, it's 300 pounds, but now, knowing you can and know, doing it are two different things, could and should, big differences as you get older, and I think in general. And so I did, even though I shouldn't have, and it with double hernia surgery, I knew that the medications they were going to use for me, and once again, individual results, not giving advice, but I knew those medications for surgery were going to potentially poison my mitochondria from the medical literature. So I cranked up with supplementation my NAD levels along with CoQ10, along with carnitine, along with to rise the level and kind of buffer my risk factors in my unique case. And as a result, that was a strategic move. And then, of course, I continue to maintain it after the fact as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So 
there's this topic of um, the uh, precursors. So like uh, NAD precursors, uh, you know, there's a, a couple main supplement um, derivatives that are given like NMN and NR. Could you give us some granular detail about the differences or maybe why one might be work better than the other or, or vice versa. Um, and then also just any lifestyle precursors that people could think about. Okay. Well, certainly well, let's start with diet and lifestyle because um, what I always tell people is you supplement a good diet and lifestyle. You don't substitute for a good right. diet and lifestyle. So what we want to do is we want to be eating our fresh fruits and vegetables as close to what great, great, great grandmother would have eaten in terms of organic, avoid the dirty dozen foods, focus on the clean 15, buy organic as you can afford it. And then you want to consider making sure you're exercising, but not over-exercising. And I've actually had young 30-year-olds with eight packs, not just six packs, eight packs end up in the ER and ICU with ramulomyelitis, a rupturing of their muscles. Their muscles are um, now poisoned because they've tore it up too much in CrossFit, for example. So too much of a good thing just because they could doesn't mean they should. So balancing and always listen to your body and the concept of no pain, no gain, of course, old school train of thought, don't over exercise your body. And so, but a good exercise regime that's tolerable and sustainable helps with NAD levels. Calorie restriction, and this is where that intermittent fasting comes into play, can be helpful. Now, if a person is really sickly and really tired or they have chronic fatigue, that might not be a consideration short term because calorie restriction might be, you know, just they, they literally barely make it from meal to meal energy wise because their energy pathways are so askew. And then we want to diminish the utilization of NAD. So we want to minimize our toxins. And like with all that wildfire smoke we have had up here in the Pacific Northwest and throughout California and Colorado and elsewhere because once again, um, smoke has no geographical territory or boundaries it adheres to. Well, that increased benzene exposure and increased inflammatory burdens, all of which that munches on NAD. So the concept of a penny saved is a penny earned. So trying to live as clean and pristine. And though a lot of people went out and bought air filters for their homes because, of course, the smoke was coming in through the windows and door jams and so forth, indoor air pollution is very real. And that new car smell that everybody, quote unquote, likes because it's, oh, it's a new car smell. Lots of toxins. And I'm sure you and I could do a whole show on that. We really want to minimize your burdens, exercise, lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, and get your sleep. And Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because the intermittent fasting, um, I just want to clarify a point from with that. It, it seems like the benefit is if it's before like a starvation state. So it's, you know, there's some pressure on the, the nutrients, but this is not beneficial if someone's going to kind of like a starvation type of fast, right? No, no, certainly not. Um, so individuals that do what we call intermittent fasting, where they, they fast for 16 hours, eat for eight hours out of the day, or they go ahead and do, uh, 18 hour fast and they eat six hours out of the day. Now, not everybody can do that. And so that's important. Just like on certain diets, some people, if we've seen the keto diet, it's all the rage, but some people's chemistry just cannot handle the keto diet. And so the concept of 
there's a perfect, you know, Cinderella slipper for everybody. I think that's the key is we have our own little biochemical approach that works best. And you and I know this because we reform the approach and individualize care unto that patient. But you know, for me, CoQ10, MitoQ, NAD, particularly in the form of nicotinamide riboside, my personal preference, which I take on a daily basis, are all things that I cater for myself and on a daily basis. But I also know what my genome is. I know what my genetic susceptibility is. I know what my family history is. And I also know from my mother's side how healthy my mitochondria is or is not. Because once again, that mitochondrial potential, the original software that we got that provides that energy is from 99% from our mother's lineage or our moms, our maternal aunts, our maternal grandmother. Well, that's where we got our double A battery from. So do we have an off-label brand or do we have a brand name? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, why do you, I know you work with True Niagen, but why do you choose NR versus N NMN? It's able to cross over into the pathway. You work goes through a salvage pathway. And the salvage pathway sounds like an odd name for a biochemical pathway, but the salvage pathway is a known pathway. So the, the Prinz-Mettler's pathway, there's of course the de novo pathway, the de novo pathway, once again, weird words. That's where our body so wants niacin. And remember nicotinamide for the audience is B3. It's a special kind of B3. But we learned, and I learned in conventional medical school that led me to naturopathic medicine, that if we're deficient in B3, what happens? There's four diseases that can occur as a result of a vitamin B3 deficiency. Dermatitis, that's a skin problem. Dementia, diarrhea, or the big one, death. And so that's called pellagra. So most of us know, of course, the one for vitamin C, it's called scurvy. And so in the case of NR, it actually goes through and avoids a de novo pathway. The de novo pathway is where you convert tryptophan, an amino acid in our diet, to, and it goes through multiple, multiple steps to eventually make NAD. And the ratio there, and you and I both learned this in nutrition, it's about 30 milligrams, or sometimes some may make an argument 60 milligrams, but we'll be generous, 30 milligrams of tryptophan, the amino acid that we find in our foods, to make one milligram of niacin, that then has to go through another pathway to actually make NAD. So the key is every step of a pathway could genetically or nutrient-wise be burdened or limited. There is a rate-limited enzyme. So now the question is, well, NR goes the most efficiently through those pathways. And some people make the argument, well, NNM is closer to making NAD. The only problem is it doesn't cross the membrane, the mitochondrial membrane. It's too large. And both NAD plus and NM are both largely phosphorylated molecules, which means they have all this other stuff attached to them. And as a result, they don't actually cross over very well. And I always go to when possible, but not limited to, but when possible, I go to the researchers and say, where's the clinical research? Where what product is most research? Where's the most scientific literature? Because I always like to, in my clinical practice, test and not guess. So I run lots of laboratory tests. But I also want to make sure that we can actually penetrate into the cell 
And the nicotinamide riboside has been shown to do that, whereas the MNM is lacking robust safety data and is lacking quite a bit of other research. So though it may have some benefit, it just pales in comparison from what I've been able to ascertain as a clinician. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. That was really helpful. Um, the uh, evaluation, like you were talking about, or testing, um, is there a particular key step like in the um, oat test? Um, and we talked about this. I've talked about the oat test a lot on your mitochondrial episode with us. So I encourage people to listen to that. But going into the oat test, um, is there a key step that really shines the need for um, for NAD precursor support? Oh, certainly. So when um, we're looking at the organic acid test, and for those that haven't listened to that um, little chat, it, you did a brilliant job of making it simple. And I always try to make things simple. You do a better job of making things simple. But the organic acid pathway test is a simple urine test. And I do it in my practice. I believe you definitely use that test in your practice. But mm-hmm. if we are stuck before or after alpha ketoglutarate, a substance that's made in our body as part of that little circle that makes energy. Well, first off, elevated alpha ketoglutarate can lead to anxiety, cranking it up. And also when we have elevated ATP and it's kind of stuck there, I call it beaver damming or bioaccumulating, then we're not going down to make ATP. So we're like, great, we're stuck in this system that might actually lead to excess glutamate production, which is neuroexcitatory. And for those people that have had too much top ramen noodle during their um, college experience on the budget, um, we know what MSG can do for us or not to do for us. But as it is made in our body that glutamate, it causes to be a little anxious, a little wired. And once again, welcome to 2020. And we're already wired for sound for so many reasons. Um, that's the other therapy that I tell my patients, turn off the news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so there's multiple pathways. So if a person's not able to process her carbs very well, I usually include the precursors to make NAD. If they're not going down the energy pathway or they're stuck at the nicotinamide riboside, I'll do that. Or if they're not handling the proteins or um, a higher fat diet, maybe they're paleo, um, then I'm going to also do NAD as well. So several pathways there. And once again, we can't directly, for most of us in clinical practice, we're not researchers, measure the um, NAD levels um, in any cost-effective way that I'm aware of, but we measure kind of how the mitochondria are doing and how those energy pathways. So it's more of a a hint, and lots of times I'll do a clinical trial, and these they did a double-blind studies, and it's of course you and I know these terms randomized. So the group of patients were put in two different groups. They did double-blind, so the patients and the researchers didn't know who got what pill. They both got little white capsules. The placebo-controlled, so they had some that took nothing, and then they did a parallel arm trial of 140 healthy, overweight adults, and they gave either 100 milligrams. 300 milligrams or 1,000 milligrams of the nicotinamide riposide, that precursor I like. And they actually found that 300 milligrams in this study, once again, double-blinded and placebo-controlled, 300 milligrams increased in this study 51% whole blood NAD levels within two weeks. And so clinically, if I do this for a month and my patients say, wow, I feel so much better. Or I, I'm starting to feel like maybe I'm leaving my brain fog or, you know, I was able to walk longer. 
because one of the problems that we have with mitochondrial dysfunction or low energy is uh, what we call lack of exercise tolerance or we lack endurance. You know, we get really tired and we're worn out for days because we kind of spend all our nuts, going back to the squirrel analogy, on a big um, squirrel party and we, now we have to replenish our nuts. And so we have to kind of go ahead and support that NAD level. And then that same study showed a thousand milligrams per day led to 142% increase in NAD. Once again, that's with the nicotinamide riboside. So it's, it's very, very interesting to say the least that there are studies out there and when and if there's studies out there on NNM like that, which right now they're not, um, let alone as abundant, um, then I would say, okay, well, that would be a consideration too. Yeah, that's great. And so when, when people take uh, the the um, NR and I've seen various responses. So are, is there something like, I've always been curious if there's a paradoxical response in some people where that they actually experience um, a reset in a different way, meaning it, it forces them to slow down. They get actually a different kind of fatigue where their body is resetting. It's sort of a clinical observation where um, when people take it, they say, you know, it's actually making me sort of sleepy and making me want to rest more. Do you ever see that? Because I've seen that as much, you know, in, in situations actually frequently enough where um I pointed out to people that it might be an early reaction to it. Yeah. And, um, and I think we see that not just with any kind of mitochondrial support, but just when we start shifting the gears, the body is now having the energy to do things. It's kind of ignored for a while because it, ha- you know, so like maybe it's detoxification, maybe it's a healing process. Cause remember if I was to have a little cut on my arm, well, that's going to take energy to do and mitochondrial energy of my skin cells. So if there might be sometimes what I call ketchup, um, where you nothing to do with mustard, by the way, but we're playing ketchup, that's a whole lot of word, um, where, where our body's now saying, okay, thank you for the goodies. And now I have the energy to do the deep clean in my body. So it's like all of a sudden, like, well, I have energy. I'm going to go. And so it starts allocating and it uses it up quickly. And that's why when we start working on mitochondrial support, um, I always tell people, if, the, your new, if you have the newfound energy, don't spend it all because you need to be paying back debt. And I always look at all of our health as a health savings account. How's your credits versus your debits? And so all of a sudden, if you look at building NAD levels or mitochondrial energy levels, but you've been running at a deficit, lots of times the body will start paying back the previous debt and it's just like, okay, well, I don't have any more energy. But you start, you have a sense that something's better. The other thing is making sure when we do this process that people's bowels are moving. So now imagine we give more NAD and we start seeing a person not feel well, which is not extremely common, but it does happen like you point out. And the same thing with CoQ10 or PQQ or anything that supports the mitochondria. Then it's like, okay, well, let's say I've sped up my liver. And so remembering our adrenals, our thyroid, our liver, all need the mitochondrial support. But now the liver is starting to work better. So it's starting to detox, putting toxins into the GI tract, which is the liver's intended to do, and called phase one, two. And of course, phase three is pooing and peeing or sweating it out. Mm-hmm. But now if a person has a slow bowel and they're not having two to three bowel movements a day, maybe they go 
once every other day. Now their bowels are full of toxins. And for those that are not familiar with the Bristol stool chart that are listening, B-R-I-S-T-O-L stool chart, it's definitely worth a Google and look at images. And you're saying, okay, well, out of one through seven, how does your poo look? And if you have a poo that's a one, two, or three, those are drier stools. And so if you have a drier stool, you have to scratch your head for a moment, ponder the purpose of the universe and say, why is my stool dry? And more importantly, what happened to all that moisture? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, well, it reabsorbed into your system. So it's no wonder that if your poo is harder, that you feel poopier because you're reabsorbing toxic water. So now you speed up this process and you're going to have what we call a healing crisis, which is not a modern term. It's an old naturopathic term where it's like, wow, I'm feeling worse before I feel better. But making sure you're doing the water, the bowels, everything, and eating really well when you start doing these things, because otherwise you're shifting gears and all of a sudden it's like putting putting on the accelerator, being in the wrong gear, or you're going to either backfire or stall if you're on a, if you're yeah. on a car. Yeah, this I'm really glad you brought that up because, you know, I think this is I would consider these treatments as deep medicine, meaning like the system, the system, um, if there's any kind of plugs in the system um, to make this medicine work at at the cellular level, you, you actually have to make sure that, you know, those systems of detoxification are open. And, and clear. I think, you know, maybe one of the, the greatest tools I've seen to figure out where you are um, in the process of deciding what therapies to start is the metabolic screening questionnaire. Do you like that tool? I, I love that tool because it allows us to know what's the lay of the land from an objective perspective. Plus, it's also great because when a person starts getting better, you can go back to a questionnaire like that and say, how are you doing? Because lots of times we forget how miserable we were or how many problems we had. And like, you're like, go back three months or something like, oh, wow, I did have that, that and that. But we often forget that we were there and that we're actually doing better. And I'll, I'll ask a patient. So, okay, you have all these different challenges. Let's work on them. And I'll write down, I say, please write down three to five things you want to work on. And so they'll say, I have a headache. I get a bloated. I get whatever. And then I'll sit, ask them three months or six months. So how do you think you're doing? Oh, I don't know if I made any progress. I said, well, let's look at the three to five things you came in complaining about. So how's your headaches? Well, now that you mentioned, I'm really not having headaches like I used to. And so how's your digestion? Well, actually, you know, now that I think about it, you know, my significant other doesn't even say that I have gas like I used to. And, but once again, we forget that, you know, we, we're looking for minutia, but we forget that, hey, We've improved. So I love the questionnaires. Yeah. Well, that's great because, you know, and also that tool can tell you if you, you know, if you have to to work on detoxification pathways, such as your liver, stool, blood, kidney, skin, health, and those types of, of um, systems before, you know, engaging in some deep medicine, you know, deep medicine therapy. But that, that being said, a lot of people are just doing perfectly well in those areas and they're healthy and living well. And they're, they're trying to delay aging or prevent um, aging related fatigue and jumping right into, you know, and uh, um, NAD precursor treatments would be, um, you know, reasonable in a lot of situations. So I think, you know, just sitting down and, and understanding where you're at, in the health journey, um, you know, before starting a therapy like this would make a lot of sense. Well, I, th I think much like when I 
because I educate a lot on CBD and the endocannabinoid pathway, and there's a, a philosophy there, start low, go slow. I think that really applies to all vitamins, minerals, nutrients, supplements is we're altering a multi, you know, tens of thousands of biochemical pathways with whatever approach we do, like magnesium, we know, alters some 330 different enzymes that are magnesium dependent. B6, there's over 60 different enzyme pathways. And so all of a sudden, great, the first leg of the race, you, you pass on the baton and they're running, but they stumble and they fall and the, the next pass in the baton doesn't work so well. So we have to ensure we're kind of rising the ship all the way along. And so starting low, going slow on everything so that once again, we don't have those times where people say, boy, I feel really, I was feeling better and I feel worse. Or a good example of that, and even though this is not a thyroid conversation per se, but people will start thyroid medication. You've identified they have Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune thyroid, um, low thyroid. And you're like, wow, I started the thyroid and for two or three weeks, I felt great. But now I, I kind of feel like I'm pittering out again. And I've heard that again and again and again. Well, the interesting thing is the, mito, the thyroid actually goes down to the mitochondria, which we're talking about today, and says, start working harder, start working faster. Because actually there's a mitochondrial receptor for T3 thyroid. But now all of a sudden if the mitochondria is under fuel, well, that's a problem. Or that the T3 tells the mitochondria, make more mitochondria, make more mitogenesis. Genesis, of course, the word beginning or make it. And all of a sudden, but I don't know how to do that. I'm already tired. It's like having Keebler elves that already worked a 12-hour shift. You say, well, I want you to do overtime. Or a person that has adrenal fatigue and they're barely making do because they're wired and tired. And all of a sudden, their thyroid awakens. Now they see more. They can do more. But their adrenals were barely keeping up with sloth mode. And you just created a thyroid that's all of a sudden tigger where your adrenals are feeling like Eeyore. And, you know, you're going to feel like poo in the middle stuck. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's uh, it's really I'm glad that you point that out. I, I must have that conversation with people like once once a month or so um, just to kind of talk about the connections of the body and, you know, make sure that we're thinking about wh what these systems, how these systems interrelate and how they affect each other. That was really well said. Thank you. Well, I think, you know, I've, I've taken up plenty of your time and this has been really fun for me. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Um, could you just leave us with a few insights, uh, take home messages, and then also just kind of tell us a little bit about um, what you're up to these days and ways people can follow your work? Well, certainly. So um, I'm doing lots of writing these days. So I'll, I'll start with that. Um, I've written just a peer review journal article on plasmalogen, which I should shoot over to you. Um, so it's in the PubMed um, literature. I'm still writing a lot on the endocannabinoid system and the remarkable fact that we didn't know existed until 1992 at the level we do now. We knew about, of course, THC from way back in the 60s, thanks to Machulam's work out of Israel. But, you know, once again, we don't, we just don't know these things. So anything the body makes. And so if you go to drmelitas.com or divinemedicine.com, they both go to the same site, or you can, of course, search my name on Amazon, I've written a few books, I think 16 or 17 these days. Um, but once again, that's all beyond me. I give credit to the divine on that one. It's not about me. Um, but I think parting thoughts is we need to more than ever in today's crazy, stressed out world, try to disconnect, 
go into nature, take some deep breaths, get out of our chairs, but as so many people now are zooming in to work opposed to going into work, find a way to create a community around yourself because it's absolutely critical that we continue to keep the humanity and humane and humane humanity going. And we all are social creatures at some level, some more than others, but we're not feeding that. Realizing those of you that have kids, they're going through a life experience where now potentially one year out of eight years or five years has now been this altered state of lack of normalcy for lack of a better word. So, and of course that ripples into your life. So minimize the stress. Stress is the enemy to the state of the union of your body. Um, eat as best as you can under your budget. And I always tell patients, try to avoid the tan foods. Tan foods are the cooked foods, the heavily processed foods. Try to eat the colorful fruits and vegetables. And remember, the dirty dozen foods are the foods you do not want to eat. I don't care how much you like strawberries. They're not worth it because they're on the dirty dozen. Likewise, surprisingly, spinach is on the dirty dozen. So it tells you the foods you want to not eat. And then there's a clean 15. And you can get that information at ewg.org, environmentalworkinggroup.org. And then make sure you're drinking clean, pristine water. You're staying hydrated. You control your indoor air pollution. And then after you do all of those things, that's when you start supplementing. But minimize the burden to your body so that you're not burdening the what we call homeostasis or the striving towards balance. And then you go to the next level and start basically, you know, you know, getting to that next deeper level, like you said, the deep deeper chemistry. But if you move the chemistry without addressing some of the foundational things, it's like building a beautiful home on a very bad foundation. It's not going to sustain itself like it could have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was outstanding. Once again, I you're one of the, my favorite guests to have on the podcast, and I would love to reach out to you again, if that's okay. Um, and, you know, continue this, uh, this, these wonderful conversations we're having. Well, I applaud you. And th thanks for having this platform. Thanks for educating so many thousands and thousands of people. And I just hope everybody shares the message because we are now the messengers in today's world of too much information, healthy, positive, proactive uh, messages are the medicines that's going to help our sanity and also humanity. Healthier human beings are happier human beings and happier human beings make it a safer and more pleasant environment for all of us. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Melitis. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the One Thing Podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from it. Forward the, the episode to them and I'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them. So once again, we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the one thing podcast and again much appreciation for you being here with me